let's go on a little journey and let's go to a place called Ephesus and let's look around a little bit at Ephesus so that we can get a good view of what this city looked like. There is a church that's there that is going to get a letter not from another uh, church. The pastor of this church at Ephesus is going to get a letter and this letter is from Jesus Christ. This is not a disgruntled, this isn't somebody that's jealous, this isn't a yoke fella in the ministry writing a letter. This is a letter that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to write to this church. But let's walk around for a little bit. If you have your King James translation, you can follow with me in chapter 19. If you don't, you may be in the state of confusion. So listen to me a little bit. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18 comes through Ephesus, but um, they uh, had asked him to stay, but uh, he went on to Jerusalem. The, the Passover feast was about to happen. In chapter 19, we find him back at Ephesus. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul is preaching about the kingdom of God. And where divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This becomes a center of gospel influence here. And these are believers. These are those that have been given ears to hear and hearts to understand. These are born again children of God. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. It goes on to say in verse 20, so mightily grew the word of the Lord and prevailed. The word of the Lord grew and it prevailed. It's more powerful than any opposing forces. It is spreading, and it's by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God always gets there first. It's not the man. The Holy Spirit of God always gets there first. And the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus, and let's take a walk around this old ancient city and look around for a little bit. This old ancient city, it's commercially strong, it's politically strong, corrupt but it's politically would be considered strong. Um, it's a religious center of West Asia, but like other ancient cities, it is a region that is deep-rooted in the pagan idolatry. There is the chief devotions are given to Diana, uh, Artemis in Greek, the uh, goddess of fertility. And so here you have this location of Ephesus. It's four or five miles from the Aegean Sea. There was um, an architect by the name of J.T. Word was given the commission by the British Museum to go in about 1863 and go and excavate and dig up Ephesus, find it. You know that brother dug for 11 years? 
Can you imagine going and digging for 11 years? He was, they paid him to. They paid him to go. and to, I'm sure that would be very interesting to go do. But for the first six years, the whole deal was for him to go over. This architect he's been commissioned was to find the, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the temple of Diana. And so for six years, he has to keep telling them, I hadn't found it yet. But he digs and he gets to the theater. And while he's digging at the theater, he finds a Roman inscription on a stone. And he reads, and in that Roman inscription, it talks about how they would take idols and go from the temple to this theater on the pagan goddess's birthday. And so deductive reasoning, he said, if I can figure out they're right. How did they travel there? So he keeps reading and he finds out that they entered at this gate. They exited at this gate. So he starts digging in that direction. And lo and behold, he finds the way to where that temple was. For five years he digs and discovers a marble street about a half mile long. 35 feet wide. Can you imagine seeing that? This city, they dug up walls, and some of these walls <coughs> were 50 feet long. It encased about 1,000 acres of Ephesus. So we're not going through some little town that's got a stop sign. This is a bit like I grew up in, in Union Church. We had a stop sign if one of my uncles didn't hit it with the cattle trailer going through. <laughs> Ephesus is a huge place with these walls. And, you know, 1,000 acres that are there... Um, and, and the, uh, you know, these walls, if you take up the linear footage and put all of these walls and everything together that they had great many miles of those things, they um, dig and they find um, Diana's temple and they find this huge slab of concrete. I'm talking about 98,000 square feet of concrete, huge concrete. And then the temple that sat on this huge piece of concrete is about 57,000 square feet. To your sisters, that'd be a department store, okay? So, so you get an idea of the square footage, and you go a little bit northeast, and there's a marketplace there. And the marketplace, oh, by the way, there are 127 of these ionic columns around this this uh, temple that they worshiped. And they're six feet in diameter, 60 feet tall. I had to do a paper one time on that. Um, and so <clears throat> you get the scene here. You go to the marketplace, and the marketplace has got a place in the center of it to where they uncovered a sun and a water clock. That's where you went to figure out what time it was. You go in the middle of this market. It was a sundial. There was a water clock that was there. You go on a little farther northeast and there was a place there to where they had the gladiator events. You recall that the Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, he says, I have fought with the beast at Ephesus. I want to tell you, some of those false prophets, some of these vicious, uh, heinous men, heretics, can be like a, a beast to deal with there. The Apostle Paul had seen these things here and he's gone through and He's there at this place, and listen to this a little bit, back in chapter 19. The same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, 
brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, we know by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Well, the apostle Paul was preaching it. He was preaching it. That's upsetting these folks. They're interested in the money of selling these little idols. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Boy, yes, sir. Boy, the world worships some strange things. Now, look, this is, a ma this is what they call one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's magnificent. You've got this theater. Let's read about this theater. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of, of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Archristus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed in with one accord into the theater. This architect, J.T. Word, also dug up this theater while he was looking. All he was told to do was to find <laughs> The, the, the temple of Diana. But boy, he uncovered, well, you keep digging for 11 years, you're going to uncover a lot of stuff. We found this theater, and it's row upon row upon row of seating that would seat 24,000 people. That's how football stadiums are designed today. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And let's move on to verse 35 for time purposes. And the town clerk had appeased the people. The people come out. It's a mass that comes out there at this theater. And the only reason why do you go to a theater is when you have a bunch of people that are there to see something. And so there's a lot of folks here. Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. You see, they believe that Diana fell down from heaven. There's only one that came down from heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. He's absolute deity and he's perfect humanity. He died, for in our, he died in our place instead. And he arose on the third day and he's seated right now on the right hand of the majesty on high and he's alive and well. He's the same Jesus Christ back then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Apostle Paul preaches to these folks. Let's go to chapter 20. As the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to these folks here, listen to what as he gives his farewell charge. He says, and from Miletus he sent unto to, um, Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you all season, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. The Apostle Paul was an humble man. The Apostle Paul wasn't like these arrogant pagan idolaters. He was, an, he was an humble man. He said, I've served the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the laying in weight of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and taught you publicly and from house to house 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've walked about the city. You get an idea of how massive that this city was. How that there were things that could catch your attention there. But all of a sudden, here comes this man. And he's not just any man. He's a man that's been called of God. A high calling. He's not one of these silversmiths. He's not somebody that's doing it for filthy lucre. He's not one that's trying to scam people. This is a man that works with his own hands and there is nothing more important to this man than the cause of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was called to preach that and that's what he's busy doing. You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about all the perils that he was in. And the apostle Paul got back up by the strength of the Lord. He knew that God's grace, he knew that that was sufficient, would get him through. This is a man that was known as Saul of Tarsus, was born again on the road to Damascus. And at that time, before he was born again, he was, he was an enemy of the church. He um, tells them some good news about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, these folks aren't interested in the seventh wonder of the world anymore. Big deal. Congratulations on your big temple. Because the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residency in their heart. And there's a bigger picture now. Amen. And it's their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that they're focused on. It's not a sundial and a fountain. It's not to go to the theater. It's not of all of those things and a marble street that took you down to the harbor. It was none of that. It's the church of Ephesus. But the pastor of the church of Ephesus gets a letter. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. <coughs> Perhaps the pastor of the church at Ephesus thought that everything was in order. And that everything was just right there. You know, the apostle Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. And so perhaps he thought that everything was just where it needed to be. And um, he doesn't get a letter from a scorner. He doesn't get a letter from a form letter. Uh, uh, not a fellow minister. He gets from a much higher source. This is written in red. The highest power writes to him. And it is an awesome statement that is made. You know that's old English awesome. From, six to, from before the 1600s, all and the word some. That means inspired to all in reverence. That word awesome belongs to describing the Lord. Now, slang term, that's sweet, that's awesome. People use that out there, you know, from time to time. But I made it a habit not to use awesome for anything but my awesome Lord. Because he is awe-inspiring. I had a young man come to me one day and his job as a waiter was convince me to get a bowl of soup. That's his job. They've trained him well. He had the script down. Didn't matter what you were ordering. He's going to tell you. And he said, you got to try the soup. It's awesome. And I thought about that for a minute. I've had a lot of soup. And it's, I've had some really, really good soup. 
But to say it's awesome soup, <laughs> I told him, I said, have you tried it? He goes, no, sir. <laughs> I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to stick with the sandwich then if it's all right. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Revelation, John, here is the pen, the Holy Spirit's moving him. And we have this letter that reads, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you left. Because you left. Because thou hast left, thy first love remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent the message is very clear isn't it you've left me you know, we uh, go to the doctor for x-rays and CAT scans and MRIs and all sorts of things now. It's amazing, the technology, the medical technology. It's just absolutely incredible, the age that we live in. And those CAT scans are used, they can minutely tell and detect when something's not right. And they distinguish and show, hey, there's cancer there, so that they... Uh, the doctors will know how to tend to that and how to care for that. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. I am Alpha, this is in red, and Omega, and first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto uh, and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle his head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He penetrates better than any CAT scan and any MRI and any X-ray that they'll ever come up with. He sees everything. You may fake your pastor out. You may fake your mom and dad out. You may fake your teachers and everybody else out. But let me help you out. You cannot fake out God. He sees everything that's going on in your life right now. Our God's eyes, our, our Savior's eyes are as flame of fire. He says, I know thy works. 
He knows. He doesn't need you to tell him your works. He knows your works. He lets them know right off the bat, I know, I know. You know why I know? Because I'm sovereign, I'm God. I'm omnipotent, I'm omniscient, I'm omnipresent. I, I know. I know all about you. There's nothing that you're going to tell me about you. And that's why it's so silly when someone thinks that they are to introduce someone to God. <laughs> I asked your brother one time, I said, do you really and truly, he was asking me, he said, well, did you introduce anyone to God on Sunday? I said, do you really think that almighty God would need this mess right here to introduce him to one of his children or one of his children to him? He's God. He doesn't need me. What he needs me doing is not neglecting my gift and being ready to preach the gospel in season, out of season, to be ready to publish and proclaim the glorious gospel. The church that I pastor is not in the business of populating heaven. And neither is Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church. It's here to rejoice in the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to those have ears to hear. His eyes were as a flame of fire. They searched every member's heart and the pastor's heart. And he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. And it's born and his patience for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You see, there's a disease going on in Ephesus. And the Lord tells them about it. There's something that's happened here. Now you do a flyby or a drive-by and you look at that church and you go, my goodness, the church at Ephesus, they're busy laboring. They're, they, they're obviously, they're studying the word. They know if it's a false apostle that comes up. They know that if it's false doctrine being preached, you know, on the surface you go by. And we look at things a lot of times on the surface. You know, I tell folks that, you know, you can put icing on a cupcake. I mean, on a piece of cornbread, on a pound of cornbread and make somebody think it's a cupcake for a little while till they bite into it. But the Lord sees the intents of our heart. And he says to them... Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He's very kind in his admonition to them. Do you notice that, how kind the Lord is? How kind our Savior is when he talks to his disciples? His kindness that he has to his disciples. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is about kindness and mercy? He's very kind. He notes positive attributes, and that's important for us to do. He notices and he says the positive things that are there. He talks about that they uh, um, that they uh, their knowledge, he, you know, is he says, I know you. My knowledge is perfect. I know you. I know the things that you're doing. Your labors in the kingdom. You know, there's other labors I'm sure that they did that the Lord, he knew about all of them. He'll tell us about all of them. Um, and they had not grown weary in well-doing. It says that they had not fainted. Uh, they, you know, the Apostle Paul told the churches of Galatia to not get weary in well-doing. We can get worn out by things of this old world. This world wears me out. I don't know about you. I'll just go ahead and tell you. 
When I don't have my focus on my Lord every day when I go out to stay focused on the most important thing, there is nothing more important than our Lord. You got to start the day out right. Not hitting the snooze button 18 times before you decide to get up. Get up. Get up in the morning, get focused on the Lord, read, meditate, and get ready to go out into this world. And he says, they were doctrinally sound. They had not gotten weary. And he says that their love that each member had at one time, or that it felt for Jesus Christ, something's happened to it. You left me, the Lord says. Do you know that there are three? You see threes all through God's word. The mark of the Holy Trinity is all through God's word. Do you know that worship here at Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church because this is the Lord's house. In the Lord's house, there are three main ingredients of worship. He tells the woman at the well. He says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is the object of worship, period. He doesn't share it with anyone else. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the choir loft. It's not about the band. It's not about anything else but our Lord. He's the object. Anything other than that. You know, Brother Jeff knows. Concrete. You've got to have an aggregate. You've got, you got uh, gravel and sand. You've got cement, Portland cement and water. It takes all three of them in order to make concrete. If you, if, if you, if you do any other kind of combination with that, it's not going to work. It's a mess. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Certainly, we need and we beg for the Holy Spirit of God to have communion with us. I would love that this place was filled to the gills, the windows was up, there's people sitting up here everywhere. That would be great that the parking lot's filled up and we've got a parking lot, uh, a parking garage on the horizon. That would be. And the Lord is able to do that. But we ask God to please, Lord, bless us with the communion of the Holy Spirit to be here. But also... I've got to come to the house of the Lord with the right spirit about me. <laughs> you know, if I'm walking into the house of the Lord and my focus isn't on him and my focus is maybe on me and I'm going, hmm, well, nobody spoke to me last Sunday. I'm going to go back this time and I'm going to sit in the back with my arms crossed so that everybody knows that I'm sawed up like a cow about to go into load and shoot. I'm not going to move. You know, I'm just going to be sawed up here. And let, What kind of spirit is that coming into the house of the Lord? No. No place for it. No place for it. And your attitude is contagious. And your attitude needs to be about gratitude when you come into the house of the Lord. Thankful for all that the Lord has done for you. And so the spirit that we need to have coming to the house of the Lord. Getting ready for church starts way before... But getting ready for church is prayer and meditation during the week. Do you pray for one another? Have you prayed for your preacher, for the pastor? You know, when you sit back and you have barbecued preacher, I like to ask folks when they're going, I don't get much out of his preacher. <clears throat> well, have you prayed for him? How much time did you spend praying for him this week? None? Okay, get busy. <laughs> he would appreciate it. Amen. You know, we getting children to church, uh, that's a challenge. 
They're teenagers, you know, and co goodness, they're college. They're not teenagers anymore. Um, but I remember getting ready, you know, um, and I want to tell you, that can be a hairy moment. Uh, that can be quite an exasperating trip to church, trying to get young folks in a car seat. You know, Sister Becky would give me one job, and I would fail at it. Just keep up with the diaper bag. Just do that. Some kind of way become unzipped, stuff fell out. We didn't have the, you know, the treats and stuff. We're out of diapers, whatever like that, you know. And I want to tell you, the church that I pastored out, Ideal Primitive Baptist Church, they made a, um, uh, uh, a um, Evelyn Gandy Parkway, a way to get there so you didn't have to go across a train track. If you didn't make it to that train track before 10, 15, you were going to be late for church because the train was going to catch you every Sunday. And you want to talk about getting in a rough spirit. Late for church, and your father-in-law was standing and leading the song, giving you the eye coming into the church. <laughs> Brother Lonnie Sr. can give you the eye coming into the church. And so you're all rattled and frazzled, or maybe you fussed. Maybe mama burnt your biscuit Sunday morning. Bless your heart. Get over it. You're not going to starve and die. Everybody makes mistakes. You come, did you pray together? Did you meditate together? Did you read the word? Did you, did you, what kind of spirit did you come to the house of the Lord in? And so, and also, you know, the spirit, it's not that old ceremonial or the Mosaic law, that ceremony. You know, it's with the heart condition that you understand that you're a bankrupt sinner. But you've got a savior that's Christ the Lord. And Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right. It's not me and Jesus, it's Jesus. Amen. And so you come with that spirit coming in, and then there's also, you have the truth that's there. Sorry, the truth that's there. Amen. Thank you. We'll fix that later. Um, <laughs> doctrine is important. What you, you know, some people say, well, you know, well, at least they went to church. That counts, right? Well, at least they went to church. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's what's going on at Ephesus right now. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen. He says, remember. You see, Jesus Christ is not number one on your list anymore. You may be pretending that he is, but Jesus Christ is not number one. First means first, not second. First means foremost. First means that there's nothing else more important than that. He says that, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> remember thou for from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Jesus Christ is first and remember what it was when you joined the church, when you came and asked for a home and said, maybe you wept your eyes out. I had a sister, I tried to get through a communion service and, you know, it's just a, it's a tender thing. It's, it's uh, and she rubbed my head after the service, goes, bless your heart, you're just so tender hearted. And I said, and that's perfectly fine with me. I am. I'd much rather be known as tender-hearted than to have a hard heart. Amen. I'm tender-hearted when it gets to my Savior. Yeah, I am. 
Remember that first works. Remember those things, how you felt when you came. You remember your first love? I married my first love, Sister Becky. And I counsel with young folks and older folks that ask me to help them out a little bit in God's word. When they're having trouble in their marriage, do the first things. What were some of the things that you used to do? I'll ask them that. We get out old pictures and we look at them together. A lot of times they're rolling their eyes going, where would you find, you know, because sometimes it's not just members of the church. Sometimes it's folks I work with and the wife's looking at the husband going, where would you find this nut? You know, this guy. You know, wearing Wolverine work boots, jeans, and a Bible, you know, and a Carhartt shirt walking in my house. And he's wanting to look at old wedding pictures and everything. And I always tell him, I go, you can excuse me anytime. I cost nothing. You're not out anything. I won't even take a drink of water if one's not off. But I said, think about that, how you, when you fell in love, how attentive that you were and faithful to one another. And, you know, you were joyful with one another and loving with one another. And you studied one another. I studied Sister Becky because I wanted to make her happy. I didn't want to make her unhappy. I wanted to do things to make her happy. And if me leaving socks was aggravating her laying on the floor, I stopped doing that because I didn't want to aggravate her. I do a lot of things I know to aggravate her. I don't mean to. Well, sometimes I do. <laughs> but Christ must be number one on the list. You had works in the Lord's name, but you're no longer motivated by the motivation of gratitude and love. You're going through the motions now. You play in church. There's no time for that. There's no time for that. Do you know we will never get this opportunity right here ever again? Never. Not this one ever again. But we'll never get this opportunity right here again. And so they had gotten into the mode of kind of going to church. It appears to me it had just become a checklist. We're going to take care of stuff. I'm going to run the vacuum around and get the floor done. But I'm in a hurry. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to smile. Hey, brother, how are you doing? I can't stand him. Just, you, know, you know, Lord sees all that. You know, that brother may think they really love me and going off going, look at him. What a bumpkin. But the Lord sees. Lord's solution, remember, repent, do the first works. Remember, he says. Remember what you did when you first fell in love. When you first fell in love, how did you feel about the church when you first asked for a home and you were baptized? Weren't you on fire to serve the Lord? Wasn't the zeal burning you up to get to the house of the Lord again? Well, we fell out of love. Well, fall back in love again. Fall back in love again. I had a man one time stomp his foot at me and he goes, we just fell out of love. Well, fall back in again. Fall back in love again. When's the last time you took her on a date? I'm not taking her on a date. We're old. You need to go on a date. Doesn't mean going to outback. You can go build a fire in the backyard and cook a hot dog and go out on a date. But I highly recommend you do more than that. <laughs> do the things, the first things. What did you do when you first joined the church? Were you late? Oh, preacher, now don't get on that. Don't let the sun set on you in Alabama preaching on getting to church on time. No, I... You know, we get to, to things plenty in advance. 
You know, we get to, boy, if we got a doctor appointment, oh my goodness, I'm going to get there an hour early and fill out the paperwork and just be sitting there waiting for them to call my name. You sit for an hour or so and they finally call your name. You know, we're going to get early for those things. Oh, we got to go get the best seat at graduation. My son was graduating from high school. Oh, we got to get there and get the best seats and hold a whole row in a coliseum for family that can't get there on time. I said it live. You know what it's like to hold a, a long seat in a coliseum and people trying to sit there? I was trying to do anything. I was using the preacher card. Preacher, you can't sit here. Man, people getting irate with you. Remember the things you did in the beginning when you first fell in love with me. And repent. Change. Change. Labor in love. Understand that God Almighty gave the very best he had to die in your place instead. And you need to live for him every day. You need to put a smile on your face. And go out into this world. And it's tough sometimes to do. Boy, it's tough sometimes to do. But to remember, I am representing my Lord. I'm going to lift the banner of Christ up high today. I'm not following what the world says. They're confused. They're goofing a bunch of pet coons. The world is. I'm going to lift the banner of Christ up high and I'm going to walk. And it doesn't matter what comes my way. I've got the Lord on my side. I've got the Lord on my side. And he says, do the first things. Do the first things. If you don't, God's going to remove the candlestick from the local church here at Ephesus. And if the candlestick is removed, they're going to be in the dark. Without gospel light. And they're going to cease to be a church. They're just going to end up being a religious assembly worshiping in the dark. The church of Ephesus is not there anymore. And I want to tell you, there's some churches, some old Baptist churches that have chosen that name to represent their church. There are some churches of Ephesus. I grew up in one, Ephesus Primitive Baptist Church in Lorman, Mississippi. We're on the outskirts of Red Lick. Mississippi, Red Lick, that's the name of it. Don't ask me why, I don't. But there was Ephesus Church that I grew up in. No preacher would come, drive a long distance and come, and he would stand, and he would proclaim the gospel, the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He would preach about God's plan of eternal salvation and God sending his son to execute that plan perfectly. Some Sundays he would preach on that the Holy Spirit of God applies that grace in the new birth sometime between conception and death. And he told the sweet, sweet story of that we're preserved in that grace to never fall away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we get busy if we need to, and I believe that we all do. Remember, repent, and remember our first works. God bless you is my prayer.